We are going to be over in the book of 1 Kings. If you're up on Facebook, hear this. I actually put it up for you last night, for those of you who were up to the sea. But I said you could, you could see how easy it is for those who don't love and honor God to disobey His Word, to go against His will, to do what they want to do. But how is it the people who love God serve Him and say they want to go after God, do His will? How is it that they turn against the will of God? Well, there's a story in the Bible that will show us exactly how this happens. And we're going to take a look at this. We've had this question that has been thrown out a number of times. How is it that people can go through a thousand year reign with Jesus Christ where there's peace, and think we can do better and rebel. And in the end, we know what happens when they rebel. They, of course, get get wiped out before their rebellion goes anywhere. But how do we get to that spot? Well, we're going to see this story here in 1 Kings, and it will tell us a lot of what will, will go on there. I'm going to remove this because we try and keep the atmosphere so that we don't freeze some people out and don't cook others. It's always a hard thing to to manage. (laughs) We do try and... and It isn't just you set one temperature and that's just it. It works from week to week. It changes the weather conditions outside and all sorts of other things. So we always tell you if you are uncomfortable, let an usher know. It is possible we can change things. But last week we were looking at conspiracies, combination, and craftiness. We saw that there was a conspiracy that was made against David. How they carefully crafted it. And how it shook his confidence. Because he knew that that, uh, before he took over, Saul was rejected as being king because of the things he had done. And some of the things he omitted from doing. And that God had rejected him as being king and he selected David. So David knew that this can happen. And when the rebellion came up, and it came up on him kind of suddenly, Absalom had the people of Israel, he fled the city. He was thinking, maybe God is done with me. Maybe the anointing has moved. And so he got with some of his close people and they went away to find out, is God done with me? Or am I still supposed to be here? And he got that question answered and he came back with boldness against the rebellion of Absalom. And the rebellion was defeated. Not all Israel came back all at the same time, but eventually there was unity there. But that's not the only one, the only time that this has occurred. We're going to see it's going to happen here in First Kings chapter 1. Now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Therefore his servant said to him, Let a young Woman, a virgin, be sought for our Lord the King. Let her stand before the King. Let her care for Him. Let her lie in your bosom that our Lord the King may be warm. So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag, the Shunammite, brought her to the King. The young woman was very uh, lovely and she cared for the King and served Him, but the King did not know her. Now you wonder, with all the women that are in the household, why she has to be sought, but apparently they did. And and then you have to wonder, why is this in the Bible? I mean... <laughs> 
I mean, why do we really need this in the Bible? Can you, of all the things we're going to record, all the things we're going to admit, why do we need to have this detail? And there is a reason for it. It doesn't jump out at you right away, but there is a reason for it. And you won't find that out until you go on to verse 5. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? He was also very good looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. Then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest. And they followed and helped Adonijah. But Zadok, the priest, Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, Nathan, the prophet, Shimei, Ray, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. If you want to know why those first four verses are in the Bible, it is telling you the state of David. David was so old, his body was so deteriorated, either from all the abuse he put it through and the wars that he was in, whatever the reason for it was, he was in such bad shape physically that his own body could not keep him warm. Now, if you are in so bad of shape physically that your body cannot keep you warm, they keep you in the bed with blankets on top and then have to go out and get the, the, an, an abishag and bring her in, how good a shape are you to run the kingdom? Can you run the kingdom from your bed? Cannot. What should have happened is David should have relinquished the throne. He should have picked someone to take over even though he hadn't died yet. Because he was not in any shape to, to do this. If he would have done so, this chapter probably wouldn't be here. And uh, other things would be recorded instead. But this is what we have. And David didn't do it. And so there was questions among the, the kingdom, who is going to reign? And so Adonijah who is the fourth born of David's sons. The first three are dead. Absalom was one of them. In fact, Absalom is Adonijah's older brother. He was next up to that. So he is fourth in line for the throne. And since the other three are dead, he's next in line. The way the kings work is the oldest son takes the throne. That's how they did it. That's not God's way. God didn't want them to have a king. It's the way of the kings. That's just how they, how they do things. doesn't always matter whether the oldest son is the most qualified. Maybe sometimes another son would be more qualified. But that's how they did it. And so they're waiting for David to appoint someone to the throne. David doesn't do it. And so Adonijah decides to, you know what? If David's not going to do this, it needs to be done. Someone needs to take over. There are things in the kingdom that are not happening that should happen. We have no leadership. So he decides to take over. I'm the next one in line. Let's just go ahead and, and get this thing going. Now, Joab and Abiathar are recruited and they go along, but you have to know that these two guys know this is not David's will. Because David has said Solomon would reign. He made the promise to Bathsheba. Sometime before she, she reminds him of that. 
his closest people, maybe the whole kingdom doesn't know, but his closest people know this. And Abiathar is one of the high priests. They had a rotating uh, basis that would go there. He is certainly one who would know this. These are two people, Joab and Abiathar, are two people who were extremely loyal to David. They were loyal to David all through his years, all through the early rebellions, all through the things that went on. These guys were faithful to David. Joab oftentimes did things for David because of his relationship with David, not necessarily because he thought they were right. They constantly did things that they saw would help the kingdom. They put their lives, or Joab at least put his life on the line. When the rebellion of Absalom came up, and you pick a, if you pick a side, and you're one of these higher up leaders like Joab and Abiathar are, the, if you pick a side and it's the losing side, you're dead. So when they picked the side of David, they were basically saying, if we don't win, we will die. That's how loyal these two are. That's why this is a good story for what we set out as the, uh, in the beginning to tell you about, because these folks are loyal. These are not fly-by-night people. These are people that have been through some tough stuff with David. But for some reason, they go along with this rebellion. Now, it said he exalted himself. He's getting tired of waiting on David. But if you look at the, the list of people that are left off, Zadok the priest. He's the other one of the, uh, that would be alternating with, with Abiathar. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. He is a priest, but he is one of David's mighty men. So he's a priest who can fight. Nathan the prophet. I saw a note about Nathan. I never saw this before. I didn't get much of a chance to look it up. But if you want to go out there and check it out and see, uh, some, some, um, there's a Jewish tradition. It's, it's not a, uh, anything else other than a Jewish tradition. A Jewish tradition that says that Nathan was um, David's, uh, a brother of David. That he was the eighth son of Jesse. Now, I don't know where the where that came from, what it is, but if you want to go look it up, you can and check it out. Maybe that's why Nathan was able to get in with David with some of the things he said. Shimei, Ray, and the mighty men who belonged to David, nor Solomon. Now, if you're looking at Shimei, how many of you are thinking about the guy we just talked about last time? Now, why in the world would you even include him in this list? He was a rebel before. Why would we include him? It's probably not him. It is probably somebody else. Now, there's two options, two ways to go with this, and there is no definitive answer on this, and it makes absolutely no difference to the story, but I'll tell you anyway. <laughs> the one thing that it could be is that these are two names of two of the bodyguards of David. That is one of them, probably one of the higher up ones, but this, it's two of them that were, that were left out. The other one is that these are names of David's brothers, probably his younger brothers, or that the, the younger's of the seven that were before him, or the, I'm sorry, the ones that were before him, uh, because some of the older ones have probably already died as uh, far in advance as, as David is. Uh, if you look at the names of his brothers, uh, Shimei is, a, is another spelling for one of his brother's names. It's not spelled that way in the Bible. It's spelled differently, but it is another spelling of that name. And the, the name Reg 
is also a shortened version of one that could be. Now, we don't know this for sure, but for some reason, these are prominent people and they're put in the list. And they were, they were left out. And the mighty men who belong to David. Probably not talking about all 600. We're ta- probably looking at either the 30. Uh, if you look at all those that are named among the 30, I think the total comes at 37. If you look at the captains and so forth, they were, they were put in there. And the three. But uh, anyway, these folks were left out. So what this tells you here, you can just, how many times, you can just read over this and never give it any more thought. But if you will inject yourself into the story and begin to think of what do you think might have happened when all this stuff is going on, you can get more of a picture of what is probably happening. So if we have a list, we involve these guys, but not these guys. David has been incapacitated for a long period of time. The kingdom has been without leadership. More than likely, Adonijah brought it up and it wasn't answered. Nothing, nope. It didn't go anyplace. And so this is how I envisioned in this going on. He begins to talk to some of the people in leadership. Abiathar, what do you think about this? Doesn't the kingdom need a king who can do more than just lay around in bed? You know what he does? I was thinking the same thing myself. Maybe he goes over to Zadok and he talks to him. Zadok, don't you think the kingdom needs someone more that can sit around in bed? No. When David says, who's going to keep... And he probably came all that way. Well, that tells me I'm not involving him. But Abiathar, hmm, we got some room there. He goes up to Joab, commander of the army. Joab, what do you think? Should we get some... Don't we need a new king? Job says, I've been thinking the same thing. I, I, I don't know what we're supposed to do. and I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with the army. We're just kind of here. Uh, we've got things going on. We need a king. We need someone who can tell us what to do. Right now, I'm making some decisions and uh, maybe I shouldn't be making all those decisions. We need to have a king. Someone needs to be there. All right, so here's another guy. So he goes through and he begins to talk about this with people. And after he gets a, a consensus, consensus of who's on his side and who's not, then he begins to have meetings. Hey, uh, Abiathar, come on over to my house tonight. Joab's coming. Might name a few others. And so they all get in there and they begin to, to talk about things. Then, now, Adonijah is way ahead of them. He's trying to catch them up. Again, this is just supposing I'm putting myself into the story. So he brings them on over and says, you know, what kind of a plan should we do? Well, who would be in line for the throne next? Well, Donager, that would be you. <gasps> Is it really? <laughs> I guess you're right. Something along those lines, right? We got to get other people to make the suggestion that you should be the king. Okay, I'll go along with it. You know, it's um, and they begin to to execute some plans about what they should do and how they should bring this about. And uh, they probably went on out there. Joab probably started talking to some of the mighty men, and he probably came back to one of the meetings and says, "You know what? Leave all them out." They are not going to help us. <laughs> we can't let them know what, what's going on. And so what you, what you will find is Joab, who had been so faithful to David before, is now making plans intentionally keeping David and the people close to him out of it. And he's okay with this. Abiathar, the priest. High priest serving before God. And he feels okay with this. How do you get to that place? 
So Zadok's not included. Benaiah, well, we, we talked with him. There's no way we're bringing him on board. So they, they left him off. Now, I want you to notice a name that is not in this list. He is not in the list of those included. He is not in the list of those excluded. And it is, it's an extremely prominent name. A name that is, when I bring it up to you, you're going to say, yeah, why is he not in there? Abishai. Remember one of the, the three brothers? He is one of the brothers of Joab. The other one was killed. But he's one of David's mighty men. I mean, he's one of the mightiest. He did some great things for David. And Ab- Abishai seemed to always be involved in whatever was going on. And he's right there to, to help David out. How is it that he's not mentioned? How is he left off? More than likely, he died in battle. And it just wasn't mentioned in Scripture. Because if he was alive, he's going to be on one side or the other. I can't tell you which side. If Joab swayed over to the wrong side... I guess he could have too. So Adonijah only lists certain people. Most of these people that he enlisted understood David's intention to make Solomon king, but he hadn't done it yet. He may have sown a thought with them. Well, if he was going to make Solomon king, don't you think he would have done this by now? Maybe he's having second thoughts. Maybe he's not sure that Solomon's up to the task after seeing him grow up and some of the things that he's done. And, um, well, you, it's Solomon, he's just not a warrior. He's not a king who thinks about the battle. And Joab, like, he likes the battle. And Adonijah must be more like his, his brother Absalom and goes into the battle. Verse 9. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen, fattened cattle by the stone of Zoheleth, which is by Enrogel. He also invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the mighty man, or Solomon, his brother. So the other brothers were okay. Which kind of tells you that the other brothers weren't real high on Solomon. They were higher on him. And so we can pull them into this. We need people. You have to have people if you're going to get any power to this thing. So we need people so we can involve all the brothers but Solomon. Now we have to leave him out. Now I put this in your outline for you because I want to make sure that you got this. But lies cannot sustain much scrutiny until they gain some momentum with people. Once they do, scrutiny doesn't matter. If you get enough people to believe a lie, it doesn't matter how much you fact-check that lie because you have a mass number of people who have empowered it. And that's what Adonijah has done. The lie is that he is to be king. The lie is that David wants him to be king. We got enough people adding momentum. It really doesn't matter how much scrutiny we come under now. So now what has been done in secret is becoming... Uh, coming out in the open more. Verse 11. 
So Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David, our lord, does not know it? Come, please, let me now give you advice, that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Probably Nathan's as well. Because if Nathan was purposely not included, what do you think his fate would be? Go immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? Then while you are still talking there with the king, I will also I will come in after you and confirm your words. Now, Adonijah has the birthright, but Solomon has the promise. The, if the enemy ever tries to disqualify you for some things, Say, well, you're not qualified for this. Just tell them, I got the promise. <laughs> promise outranks everything else. Now, notice, notice this. And maybe if you read this over before, you might have some problem with, why are they crafting how to present what's going on? Why are they crafting this? It's simple. And I really don't have any problem with the way that they're, they're doing this. They're putting this together. You see, there was a plan to establish a lie. So there can also be a plan to establish the truth. And they, they came up with a plan to establish the truth. Because they're going to be hitting David with a whole lot of information here at one time, and he's going to, I'm not so, I gotta check this out. If Bathsheba just comes in and tells him something, he may just say, woman, <laughs> and, and just go, go from there. But, if Bathsheba comes in and tells him something, and then Nathan comes in right after that and tells him, now we've got two witnesses that are right on the heels of each other, and that could have an impact on, on David. So they crafted it. They put it together. They know it's the truth. They know this is what's going on, but they want to make sure that he knows, because if he doesn't act soon, it's going to be trouble. So Bathsheba went into the chamber to the king. Now the king was very old, and Ab- Abishag the Shunammite was serving the king. We'll just let that one go there. <laughs> and Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. Then the king said, What is your wish? Then she said to him, My lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. So now look, Adonijah has become king, and now, my lord, the king, you do not know about it. He has sacrificed oxen, fatted cattle, sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, and Joab, the commander of the army, but Solomon, your servant, he has not invited. And as for you, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him. Now, let me just make a note on this. Let's do a little fact check. Are they waiting for that? They are not. They are already going in a direction, but they're trying to give David some hope. Hey, we can turn this thing around. Otherwise, it will happen when my lord the king rests with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. And just then, while she was still talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. So they told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet. When he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Nathan said, My lord, O king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen, fatted cattle, Sheep in abundance and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest. And look, they are eating and drinking before him and they say, Long live King Adonijah. But he has not invited me. 
me, your servant, nor, nor Zadok, the priest, nor Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, your servant Solomon, has this thing been done by my lord the king? And you have not told your servant who would sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? So he's bringing this in. Hey, just so you know, Adonis just taking the throne. Did you, did you authorize this? I, I didn't know. You didn't tell me. It's kind of a surprise to me. If that's what you want, that's fine. You're the king. But uh, you ought to know that this is going on. Is this the direction that you wanted to go? So now we got David's attention. Now they, we add, of course, sacrifices and ceremony. We always throw these things in. It gives the appearance that what we're doing is the will of God. It's not what the, what God wanted, it's what they wanted. Many times people try and get God to stamp what it is that they're doing. But it's nothing more than what they want to do. Now Adonijah patterns his ceremony right after Absalom. That's his brother. Now David had not been the best father, but understand this choice to do wrong was Adonijah's. Don't be over there blaming, well, it's my dad's fault. It was his decision. Then the king answered and called and said, Call Bathsheba to me. So I guess they must have sent her out of the room while Nathan came in. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. So I certainly will do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and paid homage to the king and said, Let my lord King David live forever. And King David said, Call me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Beniah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king, and the king also said to them, Take with you the servants of your lord and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. There let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him over king over Israel and blow the horn. And say, Long live King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne. He shall be king in my place. For I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king and said, Amen. May the Lord God of my Lord the king say so too. As the Lord has been with my Lord the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites, the Pelethites, went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and took him to Gihon. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon, and they blew the horn. And all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him. And the people played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy so that the earth seemed to split with their sound. So we got a lot of people over here on Solomon's side making noise and we got a lot of people over on Adonijah's side making noise. But David commissioned these people. See, there were some things that Adonijah was lacking. He didn't have an, a, a way yet to get the, that anointing going. He didn't have access to the throne of David just yet until he had enough, a little bit more momentum. There were some people that he was missing that would have helped him a lot, but he had to leave them out. Those people are put in with Solomon. And apparently those people were so influential they overcame the influence of the others. 
Now Adonijah, verse 41, and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished eating. And when Job heard the sound of the horn, he said, Why is this city in such a noisy uproar? So apparently, the conspirators have stuff going on that they don't know about. They've been doing things for other people not to know about it. And now stuff is going on that they don't know about it. But that's their stuff. It wasn't building over days and weeks and months. This just happened today. They didn't have to hide it. They didn't try and hide it. David came right out in the open. This is my son Solomon. He's on my mule. He's going to be anointed. And then he's going to sit on the throne. And they just did it right out there in front of everybody. So while he was still speaking, Joab, there came Jonathan, the son of Beathar. Remember Jonathan? He was one of the uh, messengers when they had the rebellion of Absalom. We talked about them last week. The son of Abiathar the priest and Adonijah came to him. Come in, for you are a prominent man and bring good news. See, generally they had people in the, who were messengers. And if you were a messenger of good news, you always brought good news. And if you were a messenger of bad news, then you always brought bad news. And so you kind of know what to, what to expect out of, out of some things. About the closest thing that we can come to it is if you watch some of those war movies... And, you know, you know, of course, back in the World War I, World War II, it was the men that went away to fight and the women stayed at home. Uh, now it's, it's, it's not quite as cut and dry that way, but generally back then, in the movies that you have, the woman was always at home and then the car would pull up and the people would get out. And before they even came to the house, they already knew what the news was because they knew these people bear bad news. Do you ever see them show up in this car and they come out dressed as they are. They're bringing you bad news about your husband, about your son. You can almost feel that grief when you watch those movies. Then Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, No, our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and they have made him ride on the king's mule. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet had anointed him king at Gihon. And they have gone up from there rejoicing so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Also Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom. And moreover the king's servants have gone to bless our Lord King David saying, May God make the name of Solomon better than your name. And may he make his throne greater than your throne. Then the king bowed himself on the bed also the king said thus, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has given one to sit on my throne this day while my eyes see it. So all the guests who were with Adonijah were afraid and arose, and each one went his way. So basically they're saying, we're on the wrong side of this. <laughs> we better get out of here before they know who, that we were even here. Maybe some of them want to sneak on over to the other party and just be like, we've been here the whole time. This is this has been great. <laughs> I put a note in for outline the fickleness and inconsistency of people. It was there back then, it's there today, and it always has been. Don't think it's anything funny about you. The fickle people have been in your in your past. They will probably be in your future because people tend to be this way. Until you get some stability from the Word of God. Now Adonijah was afraid of Solomon. 
So he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying, Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for look, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Now, read into these lines just a little bit and get the, get the picture. If you were in a family with multiple sons, and what happens to the younger sons? What do the older sons do to the younger sons? They pick on them. Don't they? They pick on them. It seems pretty consistent that older sons will pick on younger sons. To put it this way, older brothers will pick on younger brothers. But here you have another dynamic that comes into play. Because Adonijah has Absalom, who's his real brother, and Solomon and others that are a half-brother. Now, he's younger brother and he's a half-brother. Plus, when you invite all the sons, but leave him out. They're not telling you that there's something going on there. Now, we knew that the promise was to him. We couldn't really involve him for that. But I, I kind of get the idea that, you know, Solomon, he's just not like the other guys. Have you ever seen what happens in school when one of the boys in class is just not like all the other boys? I mean, maybe he likes poetry. That'll go over well. You have one who's just a little bit different, likes different things. Solomon, it just seems like he was a guy who liked different things. He's not a typical king's son who likes to brandish swords, go out and fight. He likes to build stuff. He's a builder. He had Israel go through some of the most intense building in their history. In fact, they were so wore out from all the building, they asked his successor, you know, back off. And he said, no. <laughs> and so they left him. He says, he's afraid. Maybe he's thinking, what about all the things that I've done to abuse Solomon as he's grown up? And now here I am trying to take the throne away from him. So he's afraid he's going to be put to death. Verse 52, Then Solomon said, If he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth, but if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. Pretty straightforward. I mean, if you're worthy, you live. If not, you're dead. Makes no difference to me. Either way, just as fine. So King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar. And he came and fell down before King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, go to your house. So he has mercy. Now, most people in Solomon's position would not have had mercy. You rebelled against David. You rebelled against me. You tried to set up a foreign government. You knew David did not want you to be king. And you spent all this time crafting and getting all these people getting involved with this. A lot of people said, I'm just going to be done with you. And understand, there's a king here. He doesn't have to go through courts. He doesn't go through any kind of legal process. If the king says you die, you died. I mean, that's it. 
There's no lawyers. There's no help for you. If the king says, I don't like you, he can say, you die. And, and that's it. God tried to warn him. This is the way of kings. But Solomon is going to be on the side of mercy. So we, we're going to skip ahead to chapter 2, verse 13. This is where we pick up Adonijah again. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. So she said, do you come peaceably? He said, peaceably. Uh-huh. Moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, say it. Now understand, there's no love between these two. They may be family. But how many of you have family members that there is no love there? I mean, you just as soon not ever see them again as to see them. And if you're going to have a family gathering, is so-and-so going to be there? I'm not sure if I'm coming. I mean, do you have some people in that, that category? Bigger families have, you know, more of that kind of stuff going on. Smaller families, maybe, maybe not as much. But um, they're, they're not related to each other in any way. They just happen to live in the same house. And so she says, uh, all right, say what you want to say. But you can just kind of hear the, the discussion. She's very guarded. I'm, 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 expect, I'm expecting something bad from you. And I'm ready for it. And he said, you know that the kingdom was mine and that all Israel had set their expectations on me that I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's, for it was from his from the Lord. Now, was the kingdom's Adonijah's? No. Never was. No. But look at what he starts off with. You know that the kingdom was mine, and all Israel had set their expectations on me. He starts out with a lie. Either he has accepted this as being true or he's trying to use it as a springboard to get what he wants. He didn't have all Israel. He had a lot of Israel, but he didn't have all Israel because the people that were with Solomon were making more noise than his people. He was hoping to pick up more momentum as they, they came along. However, the kingdom has been turned over and it's become my brothers. Like this just kind of happened. No, it happened because David said, Solomon will reign. For it was his from the Lord. How many of you believe that he thinks that? So there's very little truth in anything he says. But he just declares it. Now, I ask one petition of you, do not deny me. So he's trying to say, look, all this stuff has happened. I've been on the the short end of this whole thing. So just, just give me one thing. All I'm asking for is just one thing. Just give me one thing. After all that, I just said, just give me one thing. Now, she's not trying to challenge any of this. She probably could challenge all that sort of stuff. She's not trying to challenge any of that. She just says, uh, say it. Same thing as she said before. Come on, say it. What do you want? Then he said, please speak to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you that he may give me Abishag the Shunammite as wife. Now, I know exactly what's going on here. Because when my family decides that they want to go for Chinese food, they don't send my wife. They don't send my daughter. 
They don't send little Chenzo. You know who they send? They send Lissy. They pull out the big guns right off the bat. And Lissy comes out to me, Pop, Pop, <laughs> can we go to the Chinese buffet? And there is absolutely nothing in me that ever wants to go to a Chinese buffet. I never wake up in the morning and say, boy, Chinese buffet sounds good to me. That never happens. It does not occur. But she, she looks at me and she, I go, all right. <laughs> and so we go off to the Chinese buffet. Now, Nikolai, he's not all that big on it either. But uh, neither one of us are a match. So this is what's going on. You know, he'll say yes to you, I'll send you in there. If I can convince you that this is all innocent and this is good, please speak to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you, that he may give me Abishag, the Shunammite as wife. Now, David never had her as a wife. The Bible makes that, that clear. And Bathsheba doesn't see any harm in this. Very well, I will speak to you, to the king. Or speak to you for the king. But this is really just another conspiracy. Now he proclaimed what never was as publicly and publicly reconciled with what is to get what is needed. So he proclaimed something that never was. It never, the kingdom never was his. And he publicly reconciled. I've come to, I've come to terms with this. Just so he can get what he wants, what he needs. Mm-hmm. Understand this, people that are in conspiracies, people who do these kind of things, they devise ways to success, not ways of integrity. They devise ways to success, not ways of integrity. All I need to do is, how can I make this work? How can I have success? I don't care about what I have to do, what lies I have to tell, who I have to keep out. None of that matters. All that matters is that I have success. Now Bathsheba doesn't see the hidden agenda here, but Solomon does. Verse 19, Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. Now we don't know if this happened that day, uh, next day, whatever it was. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her and sat down on his throne and had a throne set for the king's mother, so she sat at his right hand. So you can see Solomon has a lot of respect for his mom. She was very involved in the raising of him, more so than David would have been. But David, we know, was involved. We know from the, the things that Solomon would write that his, his father had input there. But Bathsheba was the most involved. And so when she comes in, he comes, he comes to her and he bows down. And he says, come on over here and see her. Bring, bring a throne in. I don't want a chair. Get a, get a throne. Put that throne over here right next to me. And after they get all that done, Then she said, I desire one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. Because she sees this as just something small. And the king said to her, Ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. So you gotta make, you gotta be careful before you start saying some stuff. So she said, Let Abishag, the Sunamite, be given to Adonijah, your brother, as wife. And King Solomon answered and said to his mother, Now why do you ask Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah. Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, for him and for Abiathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zeruiah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, 
May God do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David my father, and has established a house for me, as he promised, Adonijah shall not shall be put to death today. This is not going on to tomorrow. So King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down. He died. He took his best man. And he said, go out there and take care of this guy. Now, I'm sure he had people that went with him. He didn't go by himself. But he was the one going. He probably took some of the bodyguard folks with him. He was, uh, it seems to be over the bodyguard. So he uh, probably took some of the bodyguard. And none of those are, are slouches. And he shows up there. He sees right through this. He has not been given this great wisdom just yet, but he sees right through this. This is a conspiracy. This is something that someone has sown. They have talked about this. And if they can get Abishag to be his wife, he can say, I have married into the throne. I am the older son. The throne is mine. That's his plan. Solomon sees right through it. And he says, this is not going to happen. Now, poor Abishag. She can't marry nobody. (laughs) David wasn't even her husband. And they went all through the land to find the most beautiful woman. And here's the most beautiful woman in the land. Can't marry nobody. Oh, well. So King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down and he died. We don't have a whole lot of fanfare about this. He went. He did it. It's over. He's dead. I'm sure when he gets done striking you that um, there isn't much left. Because he is, he is quite the warrior. Now we, we don't stop there. We go into chapter, uh, same chapter, verse 26, and to Abiathar, uh, the priest of the king, said, Go to Anathoth, to your own fields, for you are deserving of death. But I will not put you to death at this time because you carried the ark of the Lord before my father David because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Solomon removed Abiathar from being priest to the Lord that he might fulfill the word of the Lord which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. Now he's removed from being priest because of what he did. He didn't stop at the first conspiracy. Solomon still let him go on to be priest after he was involved with the first conspiracy. For I don't know how many days, weeks, whatever number of times it was, he let that go on for for a while. And not until this happened. Because once he sees this, he says, these guys are still conspiring. He probably would have killed him if he was not a priest and didn't carry the Ark of God. And of course, he he was uh, faithful to his father. He went through some tough times with them. Then news came to Joab, for Joab had defected to Adonijah, though he had not defected to Absalom. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. So he heard, Adonijah just got killed. Abiathar just got killed. They're coming for me. (laughs) He knows it because he's involved in this second conspiracy. And King Solomon was told, Joab has fled to to the tabernacle of the Lord. There he is by the altar. This is not the temple. The temple's not built yet. We had the tabernacle of David. He's in the tabernacle of David. He's by the altar. And Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go strike him down. 
Samaniah went to the tabernacle of the Lord and said to him, Thus says the king, Come out. And he said, No, but I will die here. <laughs> He's thinking, you Surely you won't do this in the, in the tabernacle. And Benaiah brought back word to the king saying, Thus says, Thus said Joab, And thus he answered me. Then the king said to him, Do as he has said, and strike him down and bury him, that you may take away from me, from the house of my father, the innocent blood which Joab shed. So the Lord will return his blood on his head because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he and killed them with the sword. Now we'll pick that up here in just a minute. But here's what's going on with this. He gets word of this. I'm going to try and head this off. He heads into the tabernacle and he grabs hold of the altar because he's thinking, I'm a strong guy. If they get everybody and they pull, I'm taking the altar with me. And that won't be good for the tabernacle. So out of respect for the tabernacle, they'll leave me alone. And he says, no, go ahead and kill me right here. They're surely they won't kill me right here. <laughs> We're inside the tabernacle. So they bring back word to Solomon. So Solomon, all right, do what he said. Kill him right there. I think that took him by surprise. Wasn't thinking that would go on. But he says he has, he has down two men more righteous and better than he. Remember, David commissioned Solomon. Solomon, there's some people that need the justice. And for different reasons, David was compromised from doing it. The two he mentions here are Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah. Though my father David did not know it. Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. So Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck and killed him, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, in his place over the army, and the king put Zadok, the priest, in place of Abiathar. Now sometimes we may read this and we may think that Benaiah is his first name, son of is his middle name, and Jehoiada is his last name. <laughs> because it's always it's almost always given Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. You think, you know, in the same paragraph, we got it. We know who we're talking about here. But we, we identify it that way anyway. And so, Joab is killed right there. And then they clean up whatever is, is left over. <laughs> Fix it all up again. Now, Joab, Joab was involved in a lot of deaths that, that shouldn't have been. Of course, he was a warrior. He, was, he killed a lot of the enemy as well. But one of them was Abner, the commander of Israel's forces. He did that because Abner had killed his brother Asahel. If you remember the story, Asahel was chasing after Abner. And Abner says, I don't want to kill you. How can I face your brother Joab? And Asahel kept chasing him. And they were chasing him and chasing him. He was very fleet of foot, described him. And so um, finally he says he didn't want to do it, doesn't want to hurt him. But what he does is he takes his spear and he turns around and he faces him. And he plants the spear, I believe, in the ground. But he gets that, that spear in there and Asahel runs right into the spear and he dies. Because he wouldn't uh, pull up from, from chasing him. He didn't want to kill to kill him. Um, Abner didn't want to kill Asahel, but, but he did. So Joab's man that he killed his brother. And so he comes after him. But David said, I don't want Abner killed. Abner was actually going to be Joab's replacement. Because David saw him as a person of higher quality than Joab was. And so he was going to put him in charge of the army. Joab knew this. And that's probably one of the reasons why he killed him. He was also involved in Uriah, the death of Uriah. Remember David enlisted him for that? 
and he was involved in the death of Absalom. David had said, don't kill the young man Absalom. And Joab went, went around and said, you make sure you kill him. I want him dead. And so they, they listened to him. Then there was Amasa. This was another guy David was going to replace him with. Now this may not jump out at you, but if you go through the scriptures, you can trace down the lineage of Amasa and you will find that Amasa is the nephew of David. He is also the cousin of Joab. Joab killed his own cousin because his cousin was going to be put in his position. So you have people like Joab, Abiathar, Zadok didn't go, um, Zadok stayed on the, on the right side, Adonijah, these folks and all the people that went along with them, they jumped on the side of rebellion. So I put this question out here for you and I gave you lots of space. You can write down as much of this as you want to. How to become rebellious? How do you become rebellious? Because there's obvious, there has to be a way. You're, you're looking at Joab who is extremely faithful. He was not always the, the, the best uh, moral character, but he was extremely faithful to David. And he was very good at his job. Very good at his job. There were only a handful of people that were better at leading the army than Joab. And he killed both of them. <laughs> I made this money. <laughs> Think about that. They're better at the job, but you killed them both. You took them out. Joab was very good at what he does. I, I imagine he is younger than David, but he's still out there fighting. He was an asset. I'm, he's one of those guys that David is probably saying, man, this guy bugs me, but he does such a good job. <laughs> <laughs> Got to keep him around. Well, if you turn over to Proverbs chapter 26, verse 22, or look up on the screen, whichever you prefer. This whole proverb is, of course, jam-packed like most of them are, but we're going to pick up here verse 22. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. Fervent lips with a wicked heart are like earthenware covered with silver dross. He who hates disguises it with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. When he speaks kindly, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, in a flattering mouth works ruin. Well, a flattering mouth is just a, it's a lying mouth. If it's flattery, they don't believe it to be true. They're just trying to tell you nice, kind words to get you to, to swing over. But this is what happens when we accept things others say that are false. We've talked about this a number of different weeks. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. They go down into the inmost body. Fervent lips with a wicked heart are like earthenware covered with silver dross. 
and he who hates disguises it with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. Most times that you see lies come out, it's disguising hatred on the inside. There is something that they hate. And so they speak a lie to cover up the hate. Look at Adonijah. In order for him to have pulled all these people into there, he had to tell some things that were not true. I don't know what they all were. It may have been something along the lines of, you know I should be king. You know David wants me to be king. You know I think David is having second thoughts about Solomon being king because just, I mean, he's an odd guy. He's just not like the other brothers. And they, they, they accepted it. Something that Adonijah said, they accepted. Just like it was with Absalom last week. This is what they do. I put a, a quote in your bulletin from uh, Brother Keith Moore. There is a connection between hate and lying. There is a connection between love and truth. Love will tell you the truth. Hate will lie to you. The truth lets you see and the truth sets you free. This is Keith. Keith likes these rhyming things. The truth lets you see and the truth sets you free. Lies blind and lies bind. I thought that was pretty pretty well said, pretty succinct. But you see, whenever you get involved with the with the people that are the tailbearers, whenever the Adonijahs come along, whenever the Absaloms come along, and they begin to spin a tale about how what they want to do is actually the will of God. And that you can join with them and help. And then the people who go along with Absalom think they are doing what God wants. Even to the point that they go to war to kill other people of their own country for the purpose of killing David. Their king, who had taken Israel from a place of being oppressed by the Philistines under Saul to a place of dominance in the region. Can you imagine that? Israel is the most powerful country at this time under David. There is no more powerful country. Egypt, Syria, none of them. No one is as powerful as what David has brought Israel into being. And they're ready to turn on them. Let's go out there and let's kill David. Let's let Absalom be the ruler. And then Adonijah is able to do a similar thing. Even sway people like Abiathar, who had served David, who had been persecuted with David, who had suffered all the things that David had suffered through and stayed with him. Even Joab was persuaded to go over. Others as well. But these are the prominent ones that were, that were being brought out. I don't have to tell you this. You already know it. Lies do not come from God. There is one father of lies. There is one who is the father of truth. 
Calling truthful things lies does not come from God either. I wrote this down for me anyway. Listening to voices that call truth lies and lies truth dulls your ability to hear the voice of God amidst all the voices that come to us. If I listen to voices that call what is truth a lie, the more I listen, the more I tune my ear to that, the more my ear becomes untuned to the things of truth and the things of God. And this is what will happen to people like an Abiathar, like a Joab, who began to hear the lies that Adonijah was bringing out. The people who side with Absalom and the lies that he was bringing out. How many times did we hear about it in the Word? He would be there at the temple, at the, at the gate for four years. He's at the gate telling people, well, if I was a judge, I would decide for you. But we don't have enough judges because David has not seen fit to do that. He's telling them lies. He doesn't believe in their case. He doesn't believe in their cause. He care less about it. But he wants them to think they do. And see, the more, time, the more the people would listen to that, the more they became dull to hearing the truth, sharpened to hearing lies. This is not the only place where this has gone on. This is just the place we're looking at it today. You can probably take your own mind, go through the Word of God and find some more places where this is. But think about this. The truth made the Pharisees mad, upset. The truth did. Whenever they heard the truth, how'd they respond? We've got to kill this guy. We've got to wipe him out. If the truth makes you mad, what would you say about you? See, we have to love the truth. Even when the truth goes against everything that we want, everything we believe, the Spirit of God will show you truth, truth that your flesh may not like. He may show you, I'll make a nice fun one. What if the Lord showed you broccoli is hurting you? (laughs) Broccoli is detrimental to your health. You need to get rid of all broccoli out of your life. (laughs) Well, what if the Spirit of God speaks some things to you that you don't want to hear? Maybe he's, uh, he's telling you, you know that thing you like to eat? It's hurting you. Quit it. But I don't want to hear that. Nothing gets tested more than when we hear a truth that we don't want. I don't like it. I don't want it. I want to stay away from that sort of stuff. If you don't refuse the lie, keep it from getting on the inside of you. You can find yourself just like Abiathar and find yourself to be partnered with one who's going down. If Satan is the father of lies and I bring lies into my life, how am I not partnered with the kingdom of darkness? 
That's why we have to be so on guard about lies and truth. Some of us, when we were first getting started in the things of God, we were taught that God doesn't heal anymore. He's not the healer. And I don't, you don't need to raise your hand, but I bet you some of the folks here were raised that way. And yeah, God doesn't heal anymore. Used to. Not anymore. And when you first heard that Jesus is the healer, hmm, you don't think that. Brother uh, Oral Roberts, I never heard a whole lot that he had done, but I've heard a few things that he has, that he has done. Uh, you know, being down there in Tulsa, you can't, can't help but, but that. But when he, he was one of the first ones that came out, at least that I know of, came out and said, God is a good God. Now, how many, how many good venture that people would get upset at that? But people got upset at Brother Roberts because he said, God is a good God. He does good things. But see, people had already gone back to the lie that God takes things from us and God destroys things and God hurts things and some of my sadness is from God to teach me a lesson here. And when he came out and said, God is a good God, that rubbed some people the wrong way. I have to refuse to partner with deception. Because if not, I'll end up partnering with the devil. I won't know it. I won't think it. But can you imagine? In this rebellion with Abiathar, that's why this is such a great example. The rebellion is exposed. And some of the people, some of the prominent people that were involved were allowed to go. Abiathar went back to being a priest. Joab, we don't see that punishment was taken upon him right away, but when they came up with the second scheme, and he goes in and he asks, may I have Abishag, his wife? Then Solomon knows these guys are up to no good. And he had them killed. I pulled something, put it in your notes, way back from 2009. If you are curious and if you keep them back that long, that'd be 11 years. <laughs> if you keep your notes, I'll tell you what date it was. If you, if you have that, you can go find it. In order to get you out of authority, because that's what the devil has to do. If you try and defeat the devil on your own power, you will lose. You are not powerful enough. You have to defeat the devil, the devil on the power of God, which you access through the authority given to us through the name of Jesus. But in order to get you out of authority, in order to defeat you, the tactic is to get you out from under authority. Remember the centurion? I too am a man under authority. I said, say to this one, go and he goes, and this one, come and he comes. Because he is a man under authority, he has authority. If we remove ourselves from being under authority, I have no authority. So the devil knows all I need to do is get you to operate outside of your authority and you'll be powerless to stop the things of the kingdom of darkness in your life. Because I do not have power to defeat the enemy. That power is in Jesus. But I have authority through His name to access that power. So He knows all I got to do is get you out from underneath that authority. And the tactic is to get you out from under authority.
See, they'll look to do this by diminishing established authorities in your life. Leaving you to open to find new ones. When you have uh, people in the army, people in the armed forces, people in the police force, even people in the Coast Guard, whatever those, whatever ones are out there. If they begin to operate outside of what they are told to do, then they are no longer under authority and they can lose the authority that they have and should. We all understood that they should lose authority if they don't operate underneath of it. When someone wants to try and subvert your authority, they're going to first off start off soft-spoken. They're testing you. we got to find out. Are you a Zadok? Are you an Abiathar? Are you a Zadok who we can't sway him? Or are you Abiathar? We can pull him off. I, I talked to him some. You know, we use some of the subtle language in there, just kind of feeling it out. I'm not saying what's in my heart. I'm just saying what I think you're able to hear to see how you respond. They liked how he responded, so they went on. They want, they want to change you. They want to change you. David, they tried to, to do this by discouraging him. The enemy came and discouraged David trying to get him operating outside of his authority because he's discouraged. Maybe God hasn't chosen me anymore. With Solomon, they tried to entice him and they were successful. He married many foreign women and they uh, enticed him to foreign gods. He was enticed. He wasn't discouraged. He was enticed to come out from underneath that authority. Abraham tried to get him to come out from that authority. The kingdom of darkness came after him with scare tactics, trying to scare him. There's no food here. These people are trying to come after you. You have no air. Kept using fear on him. And you can go through the, diff- the Word of God and find different ways. He does not care. The enemy does not care how he entices you out from under your authority just so he gets you out from under it. That's all that matters. So, if you want to become rebellious, I'll tell you how to do it. Because if you know how to do it, then you can then you can know what not to do. So here, are you ready? You write down as much of this as you want to. You can, you can ignore it if you want to, too. Whatever you want to do. Here's how you do it. First thing, if you want to become rebellious, if you want to be one of those people in the millennial kingdom who rises up with the devil to come against the city of God, this is how the first thing you got to do. Accept what is untrue. When the Satan is released, what is he called? The deceiver. That great deceiver of nations. It's emphasizing the deceiving aspect of, of him because he's going to come out and he's going to lie. We can do better. We can do this. We got this over here. He's going to lie and people are going to buy it. The first thing you have to do though is accept what is untrue. If you will not take the first step, Devil's going to have a tough time with you. You got to accept what is untrue. Second, right along with it, but but second, reject what is true. You will not reject what is true, though, until you accept what is untrue. Born again people do not just reject the truth. 
They first accept what is untrue and then reject what is true. It doesn't happen in the flip order. You first off accept what is untrue and then reject what is true. Ready for the third one? This strengthens your partnership with darkness and weakens it with light. See, right now, you see yourself as in partnership with God, in partnership with light. I love walking in the light. We walk in, we have worship service like we had here today. Oh, it's so wonderful. Walking in the light, having this. We just love walking in the light. But you see, once you accept what is untrue, once you reject what is true, you become more of a partner with darkness than you are with light. And as the Bible puts it, if the light that you walk in is darkness, how great is that darkness? Because I'm partnered now with the kingdom of darkness, but I think I'm partnered with God. Boy, is that a deception. But is that not the deception that Abiathar fell into as a priest to side with Adonijah against David? Joab? All right, Joab's not the best of, of guys, but Abiathar. Wow. Next one, you will think you are siding with light until eventually... You don't care. When that one came to me, I'll tell you, that, that kind of hit me. You will think you are siding with light until eventually you don't care. In this case, there are people there. All right, I know this isn't what David wanted, but I don't care anymore. I am so into Azdanajah becoming king. I am so into Absalom becoming king. I will go out there and I will kill David myself to have that go on. Once that partnership with darkness becomes stronger, but you think you're siding with the light, you will eventually get to the place where you just don't care. I will side with this. Now what will happen? What is of the light you will be found fighting against? Now if you want to see another case that you can go back into the Word of God and study, take a look at Paul, whose name was Saul. He full out went after the people of the light. He was sided, he was partnered with the kingdom of darkness and didn't know it. Isn't that amazing? There's other people in the, in the Word of God beside that. Judas began to become so partnered with darkness that he brought men to come and arrest Jesus for his death. Wow. And how, did it, how did it all go? He began to accept what was untrue. That's always true. Remember that statement he made? Why wasn't this costly oil sold and the money given to the poor? 
And the Word of God tells us he didn't say that because he cared for the poor. He said it because he had the money box. And he wanted all that money to be put into the money box because then that's more money he could dip into. This is how we can get this way. We had a conversation at the church last, last Sunday that apparently made its way around. Um, I don't get offended if you all talk about things that I say. Please don't, don't ever think that I do. Uh, I'm actually enamored that anything I say is found to be fascinating by anybody. <laughs> don't think that for a moment. <laughs> but I heard that a conversation that we had got made its way around. And um, uh, it, it, I won't say anything in private that I'm not ashamed of here in, in front of you all. I'll tell it to you. Just as much. And if people get mad at me, that's fine. I'm used to people being mad at me. I, I don't, it doesn't even phase me a whole lot anymore. Oh, someone's so mad at you. Well, all right. That's not, it's happened before. <laughs> It'll happen again. That, that'll go on. Um, I, just don't, I just don't bother with it any, anymore. But um, <clears throat> I just want to let you know where, I'm, where I come from when I, when I say some of these things. When we get up here in church, and every once in a while I bring in some things that are going on in the, in the days that are, that are happening here. And I do pick and choose between which ones that I, I do. And it's not without purpose. I've done this all the years that we've been here. I've brought in things that have gone on politically. I've brought on things that are going on in our society. I bring in things that are going on in all different sorts of places and talk about them in here because of a certain amount of importance. And I know in a conversation I had last time, I didn't get this importance out. So I want to make sure that you all, all know this. I really don't care whether you vote Democrat or Republican. I don't consider myself to be a Republican. I don't consider myself to be a, a Democrat. I don't consider myself to be an independent. I consider myself to be a conservative. I've said that to you over and over again. I am a conservative. I'll tell, tell it to anybody. I can tell you exactly what that means. I don't line up with a party's platform. I line up with certain values. And I look for a candidate that will line up with those values. I don't look for a party to line up with my values. I've given up on parties. I don't send my money to the Democrats. I don't send my money to the Republicans. If there's a Republican candidate that I like, I don't send it to Republican caucus to, for them. No, I don't trust them. I don't trust them to give it to the right candidates. If I want to sort, support a certain candidate because I like one, I would send money to them directly. That's how I, I just do it. Uh, Republican Party, maybe they call my house. Hey, we'd like you to give some money. No. That's just the way I go with it. They're, they're not going to get any. It doesn't matter what party calls my house, whoever calls my house, they get the same answer. No. Because I don't consider myself to be either one. I will look at each one and, and determine that. And it's not my job to get you all to vote or to get you all to vote the right way. It's not my job. I don't take it on as my job. The reason I bring up the things that I have brought up before is simply for the reasons that we stated out here today. That I know that if a lie is allowed to sit inside of people, that that lie will eventually grow and sway them over to a side to where they think they are following after God, but are not. So all that I try and do when I bring these things up is to let you know what is going on from another point of view that you might not have. Had. And then go out there. You can go out there and, and search, research it yourself and, and check it out. But if I buy into a lie, just like with this virus thing, 
people bought into the lie that this was something phenomenally strong. How many of y'all remember that? Back in January and February, people are saying, this thing is nasty. Did I not tell you from the beginning, it is not nasty. It is no different than H1N1. It's no different than swine. It's no different than bird. Did I not? You can go back on the tapes. You can hear it. It is no different than what we have faced before. I told you that back in January. I told you back in February. I told you back in March. When we have the people come into church, you've never seen masks involved with people. That was because I said it. I said no masks. Because they don't do any good except put everybody in the state of fear who sees them. Always we see mask, mask, mask. And we don't, we don't want that. I came against the lie. I don't care what political candidate sided with me or not. I'm going to come against the lie. If you wanted to go in a different direction, that's fine. See, this is one... I've enjoyed doing Ezekiel. And it has been a while since I've gone through it. But I, Ezekiel... I think I made the mention of this on Wednesday night. Daniel is probably my most beloved prophet. I love Daniel. I love his writings. I love his hunger for the word. By going through Ezekiel, I remember, this is, I've never gone through Ezekiel this fine tooth until sometime right after or somewhere in college. And I'm reading a lot of these things in here and says, oh, that's why I do that. I forgot that came from Ezekiel. Ezekiel, for me, is probably the most influential prophet in my life. There's so much I learned from his book about what he did. That I try and go after after those things. One of the things I did learn though was it is not my responsibility to get you to believe the word as I see it or the truth as I see it. It is not my responsibility. And I don't take that responsibility. If you want to argue with me, I usually just drop it. And I go on. Because it's not my responsibility to convince you that it's the truth. It's my responsibility to present it to you. That's it. I present it. Ezekiel, remember his uh, lesson on the watchman. The watchman hears, but doesn't say the watchman is held accountable for. But if the watchman sees and declares and no one listens, it's no longer the watchman's fault. See, I learned that a long, long time ago. I made sure I try and keep my, my operation there. Because I'm not here to convince you. One thing is true. One political side is true. Wherever you fall on that, you're going to fall. But if I see, and I have to pick and choose them, I sometimes go to God, God, is this a lie I need to bring out? Because there are sometimes I know that a lie can come into a church that is multiracial and can help to divide it. My purpose is to try and expose some of those lies. Not to change you into a Democrat, Republican, Independent, or whatever else you might want to put a, but to keep us as a family. That's my purpose. I can enjoy people on any side of the aisle. I can even have fun conversations. I told you this before, just in the football area, before when I used to watch football. I don't watch it anymore. But when I used to watch football, I used to enjoy it. And I remember sitting down, a guy with a Dallas Cowboy shirt on. And we had the most pleasant conversation with a Dallas Cowboy person. Because I can have have a conversation with a Dallas Cowboy person. They love Dallas. Good. Good for you. 
we were, uh, I remember, I know I told you the story, we went to Jamaica one time, and we, we had this table, all the people, you know, just kind of sitting at a table, and this, uh, we sat down at this table, and there was another couple over here, we didn't get to meet him yet, it was she sat down, and somehow it came up, we were from Philadelphia, and she goes, oh no, are you an Eagles fan? I said, oh yeah, yeah, this is many years ago, oh yeah, yeah, I love watching Eagles, ah, oh, we're going to be in trouble. <laughs> My husband's a Giants fan. And so I said, no, we'll probably be fine. So he came on down, he sat down. We had the best discussion on football that I've had in a, I had in a long time. And we were talking about it. He talked about his thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're not strong there. But you guys, you guys are real strong on this. I know. But you guys, you, that's when they had this tandem of running backs back there in the Giants. And uh, it was a Tiki, I think, Barber, and, and somebody else. There was another tandem. I said, man, those guys are tough. They always give us trouble. And we just had fun going back and forth. We understood each other's strengths and weaknesses. None of us ever called the other team stupid or anything like that. You can have conversations with people who don't agree with. Or you're not on the same side of. You can have that. I know how to have those conversations. I don't have to get upset over that. But what I do get upset at is when I see people accept a lie, it gets into them, and it begins to turn them. I don't want to see them turned. This is where I step into this role of your pastor. I try and watch out to make sure that doesn't turn you. So when I talk about these things, it's simply to try and bring light to a lie. You may not even agree that the light I have is light. But I'm the watchman that God put here. And so if he shows me some light and he says, deal with it, then I have to deal with it. I know a whole lot more on this stuff than I will ever tell you. Because I do research it. I do check it out. I don't put it all up on Facebook. I don't always have conversations with it. It's just stuff that I, 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 I learn and I, I go after. But understand the power of a lie that if it gets in you without being exposed, it can, it can do damage. So every once in a while I dip into those things. Just understand this. If you don't agree with something that I, I that's fine. I'm not going to hate you, dislike you. That's, that's all right. You know, there's a whole lot of things in the Word of God that I see now that I didn't see before. I didn't see them. I see them now. And if somebody had come and sat me down and said, Steve, what you're, what you're seeing here is wrong, I probably would have fought them on it. So I've gotten a lot more relaxed about that. I understand, you know what? I'm seeing things as clear as I can for where I'm at. But two years from now, I'm going to be in a different place. I'm going to see things even better than I'm seeing them now. At least I hope so. But you see, if I start swallowing some lies, and this is how you can tell. I want to leave you with this. This is how you can tell that you are swallowing a lie without anything ever being done to expose it, without ever finding out what the other side was. This is how you find out if you have swallowed a lie. Lies come from the kingdom of Satan. He is the father of lies. Truth comes from the Spirit of God. When you pursue the truth, you will have the traits of that kingdom. When you pursue a lie, you will have the traits of that kingdom. Pursuing a lie will cause anger to rise up. Harmful thoughts, things to do to other people, You look at some of the violence that's going on across our country, that is not from truth. 
because truth cannot spawn that kind of anger, that kind of hate, that kind of venom. Truth cannot spawn it. It cannot do it. But lies can. Look at the traits. See, if a person is coming to you and saying, here's what I see, and they're filled with love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness, you know what? They're probably more of the light than you think. But if they have those other traits, it's real easy to tell. Once you get into that, once you get to see that, it's a piece of cake to tell. When I tell you certain political, and I, there's a handful of them, certain political people, and I tell you I despise everything in their being, I mean it with everything in my heart because not only have they swallowed a lie, they're passing that lie on to others, they're passing the hate, they're passing all the other stuff on to other people, and they're using their position to do it. And I get just as mad at them as Jesus did at the Pharisees for using their position to fashion a lie. So I just want to give you that explanation on, the, on those things. And, um, you know, there's a lot of discussion about injustice goes on in our country. I hate injustice. Color does not ever have to be involved. I don't care what the color of the people are. When I see injustice go on, I despise it. I don't like to see injustice going on. But I also know that more than likely, whenever a situation goes on in our country, what I hear first is likely not the truth. So I don't respond to it. I may not respond to it for a week or two. I'm going to collect stuff. I'm going to find out what's going on. I don't even let myself have an emotional response. I fight, uh, hold that one back. At least I try to. But that's my position here at the church as a pastor. I have to stand watch over that. But what I stand or watch over is I want to make sure that we don't let walls and things like that come in between us because we have different views on some of these things. We're going to have different views, and it's all right. I still love you, and I will keep on loving you. Would you all stand up with me? We went on a lot longer here than I probably should have. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is a light unto our path. I thank you that your spirit illuminates us, illuminates our way. Father, the kingdom of darkness is always trying to put darkness upon us. But your light shines forth. I thank you for the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ that shines in our life. And Father, we want to spread that light to all those that are around us. And not the things of darkness. Not the hate, not the discord, not the violence, not the harshness, certainly not the injustice. But Father, those who love your law love you, love your way, love justice. They love when right wins out. That's the one we want to follow. I thank you for it. I thank you for the hearts of each person here that they love you with a great, great love. I give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.